This morning we are going to continue our study through the book of Luke. Now, you might find yourself wondering how it is uh, I don't decide to, I don't know, grab some relevant topic of the day. I mean, it's a big book, right? We've got 66 books in there. I could flip through it and, you know, go to some passage that, I don't know, has something to do with this crazy election we're in the middle of, right? Uh, find some passage that maybe has to do with, I don't know, dishonest leaders or something to do with uh, comfort in times of trouble. Um, it's not that I haven't thought about that. I, you know, I, I, I'm well aware that we could do that. Um, but what I think we should do is we should step back and we should get some good perspective and we should recognize that what is eternal is the word of God and that what really matters is what God is doing. The most important thing for us to do this morning is not to lament or rejoice, depending actually on your political viewpoint, as to what you may or may not think is the results of this particular political uh, election that we just had. Um, Politics change. Governments come and governments go. Uh, This party rules, that party rules. This, What really matters is not politics. What matters is the word of God. And the best way to understand what God is doing and to understand the word of God is to take our time and work our way through books a passage at a time. Now, I'm well aware that this is a little bit of an acquired taste. The first time you hear this kind of sermon, you might think, that was a little interesting. Uh, I'm not really sure what to make of that. that. That would not surprise me. We are in the middle of a book, and we are in the middle of the life of Jesus, and what's occurring here is very much a running narrative. And if this is your first sermon on the book of Luke, you are kind of stepping into the middle of it, and there's some background. The, the only way to really understand the word of God is to get it in the context in which it occurs. And I try to do that, but the fact is, there's only so much time. And you can only go so far back. And so there is a, there, you need to kind of get into the flow of it. And it does require a few sermons. I, 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 I don't blame you. If you're, if you're thinking that it's a little interesting, because it is. We live in a world in which everyone's attention span is 20 seconds or less. And everyone wants you to click on this and click on that, and it's panic, panic, panic. The world is coming to an end. And it doesn't really matter what your views are. There's this constant frenzy. The word of God hasn't changed in two or 3,000 years. The word of God is like a balm to our soul. It's important for us to recognize God is on the throne. God has not gone anywhere. It doesn't really matter who we do or don't have as the elected leader of our particular nation. God is nowhere near as Amerocentric as we are. 
It's not that we're not an important nation. We are, but in the grand scheme, you know, the Babylonians came and went. They thought that was all there was to it. The Medo-Persians thought for sure they were the ones. Then you get the Greeks, and then you have the Romans. And, you know, each empire thinks, oh, we are the be-all and end-all. Yeah, not so much. Um, Ask Italy, you know, that was the Roman Empire. How are they doing, you know? For that matter, ask England. You know, the sun never sets on the, on the British Empire. Actually, it does. And if we go that way of those other empires, well, uh, we're just following how history goes. It'll be sad uh, if, if you happen to be a, a patriotic American. And it'll be, but what really matters is that God is on the throne. Take the hundred-year look. You're thinking, wait a minute, a hundred years? I'm not even got... Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. You're not going to be here in a hundred years. That's why I want you to take the hundred-year look. Because what really matters is what's going on a hundred years from now. In your life. Because in a hundred years, you're going to be out of this life and on to the next one. And let me tell you, the Word of God is going to be the most important thing. So let's make the Word of God the most important thing now. So we're going to take our time and we're going to look at the life of Jesus and and we're going to stop and we're going to put our thoughts on God's thoughts and look at God's Word and look at what God has to say. Here we have Jesus in our, our passage this morning. We're in Luke chapter 11. Jesus has now left the Galilean ministry. He is on his way to Jerusalem In the timeline of the life of Jesus, he is mere weeks away from being crucified. A fact which he's well aware of. He is well aware that he is going to go up to Jerusalem. He's going to go there for the Passover. They're going to arrest him. And they're going to give him a terrible trial in which he is falsely accused. And they're going to find him guilty anyway. They're going to beat him and they're going to crucify him and leave him hanging on that cross until he dies. If ever there were a moment to panic... This would be it. Is Jesus panicked? No. No. Jesus isn't panicked at all. Jesus knows exactly what is coming. He knows exactly how this is all going to go. And he understands the plan of God. The plan of God is that Jesus must die for our sin. Jesus is the ultimate good neighbor. He is going to lay down his life for us. And he's going to do it deliberately. Now, the passage this morning, he's going to speak to a group of people. The background to this passage is that he has now left the Galilee region after all of those miracles there. He has now made his way to the Judean region, which is to the south and around Jerusalem. So this is the capital. This is where the temple is. This is where all the religious people really congregate. He has now done a notable miracle. There was a man who was was unable to speak. He was mute. And Jesus cast a demon out of him, and the mute spoke. And everyone was amazed. They're like, this is, I mean, we've heard about him doing it up there in Galilee. But, I mean, now we've actually seen it with our eyes. And they're like, "This this is really astounding. But the same group of people who had made the accusation up in the Galilean region are now making it down around Judea. And the accusation they're making is this. 
Yes, he can do miracles, but he only does them through the power of Satan. That's all. He's empowered by Satan. That's how he's doing all these miracles. Sure, they're miraculous. We don't deny that. But really, he is a bad guy. He is an evil guy. So Jesus, how does Jesus react to this? How do you react when you're falsely accused? I don't know about you, but I know how I react when I'm falsely accused. I can get kind of worked up about it. I, 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 I can feel pretty bad about being falsely accused. Jesus is right here being falsely accused. In fact, we're going to pick up what he's saying in this passage where he's being falsely accused. He's not frustrated. He's, he's not angry. He, he's not exhibiting great despair. He's going to speak truth. And he's going to speak it calmly. He's going to speak reasonably. And he's going to try to get these folks to see the truth. So this passage is Jesus just trying to get folks who don't, by the way, want to see the truth, to see the truth. And he's calm. He's in control. You know, it's almost as if it were the creator of the universe speaking to his creation. You think. This is exactly who he is, and this is exactly what he's doing. If there were a moment where we might even think that maybe Jesus was angry and out of control, it would have been the cleansing of the temple, right? He made this little, this little whip, and he drove out the money changers. Even then, it was the zeal of the Lord that was consuming him. Because they had taken the house of God, which should have been a house of prayer, and had turned it into a den of thieves. They were stealing from everyone. You brought a lamb, they made you buy their lamb. You went to buy the lamb, they said, oh no, we can't take your money, you've got to have temple money. So by the time you turned your money into temple money, which of course was total thievery, and then you had to pay an unbelievable, and you already brought your own lamb, like, no, sorry, your lamb's no good. So everyone, you got to the place where you hated bringing sacrifices to God. Jesus is like, this is intolerable. You better believe when Jesus, everyone knew it. Everyone was frustrated. Everyone was angry. Everyone was upset about it. What do you do? So what did Jesus do? Turned over the money changers' tables. You think there wasn't a lot of big smiles when he did that? Oh, you'd better believe it. And the next thing you know, the sheep are running everywhere and the goats are going everywhere. And I mean, the place is just total chaos. And by the time it's all cleaned out, there's Jesus. He's there speaking truth to them. Even then, he's not out of control. Jesus is never out of control. Jesus is calm and reasoned, just as he is in this passage. So he's spoken to them, and he's and in the course of his discussion, and we'll as we get going, we'll get back to a little more of, of his discussion, but we're going to pick it up here in verse 33. Speaking to this group of people who, by the way, for the most part, are not repenting. They're not, they're not turning away from their sin. They're, they're not believing anything. They just got done saying, you're of the devil. That's what they got done saying to him. And this is what he replies. Now, in the course of his argument and reasoning, stop and think. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it away in the cellar or puts it under a basket but on a lampstand, so that those who may enter see the light. The eye is the lamp of your body, and when your eye is clear, well, your whole body also is full of light. But when it's bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Then watch out that the light in you is not darkness. 
If therefore your whole body is full of light with no dark part in it, it will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illuminates you with its rays. Now, if you read that and you really think about it, it might seem just a little, a little tough to puzzle out exactly what Jesus is saying. So let me, let me just kind of explain here exactly what he's, he's pointing out, and then we'll go through it. Jesus is basically saying that a person who is blind can't see light. And I'll explain that as we go through the passage. But that's the point he's making. His point is that if there's something wrong with your eyes, the problem is your eyes. It's, it's not a lack of light. There's plenty of light. There's all kinds of light. The sun comes out, the sun shines. But you know, if you're blind, you can't see the light. It doesn't matter if we shine a flashlight right in your eyes. You can't see the light. But the problem is not the light. The problem is your eyes. And this is their problem. Jesus is looking at them like, there's plenty of light here. The problem is not that you don't have enough light. They've, they've said to him, okay, show us a sign. Then we'll believe. How many signs do you guys need? You've watched the dead be raised. You've, you've watched the lame walk and the deaf hear and the blind see. And you've watched withered hands restored. Just how many signs do you guys need? Their problem was not that they didn't have enough signs, but they want to demand just one more. Just give us one really big sign. Then we'll believe. No, you won't. No, they won't. They have no desire to believe. This concept of light and darkness, this is a very, very common concept in the scriptures. You can find it all over the place, just a few places. Proverbs 4, 19, the way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. Jesus says in John 12, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. Jeremiah says this, give glory to the Lord your God before he brings darkness and before your feet stumble on the dusky mountains. And while you're hoping for light, he makes it into deep darkness and turns it into gloom. When Jesus spoke to these folks, this is the passage they should have thought about. Jeremiah had warned them, when you have the light, you'd better use it to see the right direction to go in. If you walk in the darkness, it doesn't go good. I generally don't tell jokes, but I'm going to tell one this morning because it just fits so wonderfully into this passage. So there was a guy who walked home from work every day. And he had a particular path that he went down. He started on the sidewalk where the streetlights were, but there was a shortcut. And the shortcut went through a graveyard. And so he would leave the light and he would go through the graveyard where there were no streetlights. But it was a path that he knew and he did it every night. And so he, he just kind of did it. Well, one night as he's making his way through the graveyard, next thing you know, he suddenly finds himself at the bottom of a six foot grave. He had fallen down into it, and you can imagine a little bit of panic sets in as you, uh, this is kind of a scary moment, but uh, he can't get out. He just, he just can't get out. You know, it's, it's, he can't climb up the sides. He just was unable to do it. He thought about hollering for help, thought, yeah, maybe 
somebody hollering for help out of the graveyard, that's probably not going to have the effect I want. So he decided, uh, so he just kind of leaned back and thought, well, it's going to be a long night, I guess. And uh, he stood there a while, his eyes adjusted to the dark, and the next thing you know, boom, somebody else fell in. So he just kind of sat back and watched them. And of course, they acted just like he did, you know, they're scrambling for a minute. And, and so he says to them, you know, you're never going to get out of here. And what do you know? They did. (laughs) Wandering around in the dark is a bad idea, right? Bad things happen when you wander around in the dark. Be careful about wandering around in the dark. And Jesus is trying to help them understand there is a light here. Jesus is the light. Jesus has lit up the world. He says about the Pharisees to his disciples in Matthew 15, let them alone, they're blind guides of the blind, and when the blind man guides a blind man, both of them end up in the ditch. Jesus is like, you guys, and and he's trying to explain this to him. This is what this passage is. He says, let's think about this for a moment. No one lights a lamp and puts it down in the basement where no one is. No one lights a lamp and sticks it under a, a bushel or a box. No one puts it under there. You set it up on a light, on a lampstand, so that everyone can see the light. This is obvious. This, is, this should not require a whole lot of discussion here. This is a clear thing. So Jesus is looking at them saying, now wait a minute. You accuse me of being of Satan. Okay, if I'm of Satan, you guys know who Satan is. Satan is the guy who tends to work in the dark. He's evil. He tries to do his deeds in darkness. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. So if you're going to act like the devil, how does the devil act? Well, the devil is slanderous. The devil lies. The devil is always kind of sneaking around. He's he's always sneaking around in the back. The works of the devil are the works of darkness. Murder and adultery and theft and, you know, all of these things, we, we do them in the dark. We, we don't want to get caught. So Jesus is looking at them saying, wait a minute, look at my life. You say I'm of the devil? The works I do, I do in the light. Jesus does everything just out there. It's, if you want to know who Jesus is and what he says and what he believes and what he teaches, just listen to him. He doesn't have any secrets. Jesus speaks. Jesus does his miracles. Jesus doesn't wait until after the meeting to go over in some room and close the door and make it quiet. Now, every once in a while, he, he will. There's a resurrection or two where he actually does that. But most of his ministry is just public. Bring the sick, we'll heal them. And he heals them all. If you want to know what Jesus has to say, sometimes you don't even have to ask him. Sometimes all you have to do is just think wrong thoughts and Jesus will answer you anyway. Their problem was not that they didn't know what Jesus taught. Their problem was they didn't like what he taught. They wanted a sign. Really? After this point, Jesus is weeks from the cross. He's been at this now for three and a half years. He's been doing miracles for them for literally years. And now you're looking at me going, well, if we'll just show us a sign, then we'll believe. No, you won't. And so he goes on and he says, look, the eye is the lamp of your body. Now, when your eye is clear, when your eye is 
healthy, when your eye is wholesome, when your eye is working like it's supposed to, it, it fills your body with light. If you really think about that, if your eyes are open, you know it's like the world is lit. I mean, we're lit. Your eyes are open. Hopefully, all of you have good sight this morning. You may not, but hopefully you do. And you know that when you open your eyes, it's like the whole world lights up. Yes. But when it's bad, if you end up with cataracts, if you end up with, you know, cloudy eyes, the whole world goes dim. In fact, if your eyes are bad enough, the whole world ends up full of darkness. You can't see anything. So Jesus is trying to say to them, I am the light shining into your eyes. The problem is not the light. Eyes, by the way, do not produce light. Eyes take in light. And when it takes in the light, it lights up everything. But if your eyes don't work good, if your eyes are unhealthy, then your eyes don't bring in the light. And this is what he's saying to them. There's plenty of light in front of you. He's done all kinds of miracles. You don't need another sign. That is unnecessary. Everything has been done in order for you to believe. Your problem is not the light. The problem is your eyes. The problem is you refuse to see. In fact, you've come to the place where when God himself shows up, instead of seeing God, you see the devil. Instead of seeing goodness, you see evil. Why? Well, because because your eyes are bad. You refuse to repent. You refuse to turn to God. It's also interesting, uh, depending on your background, Jesus does not say, oh, by the way, a light of divinity shines within each one of us, and all you need to do is just close your eyes and find the divinity within. He doesn't say that at all. Because, by the way, we don't have any divinity within. We are evil to the core. That's what we are. Selfish, proud, angry, jealous. You know, we have, this just goes on and on of who we are to the core of our beings. There is no inner light. We are not little G-gods running around with our own spark of divinity within us. And what we need to really do is search inside for enlightenment. Uh, No. No, the light comes from God. Psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God's words, God's works, God's world, this is the light. Psalm also says, the precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure. They enlighten the eyes. You see the commands of God and they they light up our lives. Proverbs 6.23, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs for discipline, are the way of life. This is who we are, and this is who the Word of God is. If you want the light of God in your life, you've got to know this book. You've got to read this book. You've got to pay attention. And by the way, you need to pay attention about what you put in front of your eyes. Be careful about what you put in front of your eyes. You keep putting all kinds of darkness in front of your eyes. Watch out. You might end up with a lot of darkness inside. When you get on your computer and you start clicking around, be careful where you start clicking around. Be careful what you put in front of your eyes. Be careful. We pick our teachers. We decide which light we're going to look at, right? 
we decide who we're going to listen to. And if you think that you're going to stand before God come the day of judgment and say, well, I don't know, I, I read this book that said everyone's going to go to heaven and, and it seemed like a nice book written by a nice person and, well, it just seemed good to me, uh, don't think that's going to get you anywhere. What you need to read is the word of God. And God's word is very clear that good works isn't going to get anybody into heaven. Nobody gets to heaven through good works. All our good works are like dirty rags. The only thing that's going to get you into heaven is the work that Jesus did by dying on the cross. Now, if you'd like to stand before God and compare your works to the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, you give that a go and see how it works out for you. Because I can tell you, it's not going to work out well. You're never going to convince God that you being a fine person is somehow the equal of the death of Christ on your behalf. It's not going to happen. It's not going to work. Our works, in fact, this is, this is the whole problem the Pharisees had. It was their self-righteousness. This is why they couldn't see the works of Jesus as being from God. Because if the works of Jesus were from God, I mean, just remember, Jesus' harshest criticism is for these religious hypocrites who believed that, by, that because they were good people, that that was going to satisfy God. And Jesus is looking at him going, you guys aren't good enough. You're not good enough. Keeping the Ten Commandments won't do it, not to mention that you can't keep the Ten Commandments. No one loves their neighbor like they love themselves. If you think you do, you're just kidding yourself. No one loves their neighbor like they love themselves. In fact, we tend to dislike our neighbors and sit around and plot evil about them. We don't always carry it out, but your coworkers and I, we have a problem, and it's the sin to the core of who we are. Jesus came to deal with that. He looks at them, and, and not in our passage, but in the previous one, he said to them, look, the Queen of Sheba is going to arise with this generation and condemn you. All she had was Solomon, and Solomon didn't give sight to the blind. Solomon didn't raise the dead. Solomon didn't make the lame walk. Solomon was a wise person, but, and she repented when she saw the kingdom of Solomon. He said, the people of Nineveh are going to rise up with this generation and condemn you all. Why? Well, because the people of Nineveh, all they had was Jonah. And Jonah didn't raise anybody from the dead. Jonah didn't give sight. The same list. Jonah didn't do any of that. Jonah just got up and preached and said, you better repent or the judgment of God is going to fall. And guess what? All of Nineveh repented. So Jesus is looking at them saying, you have plenty of light. You have more light than the Queen of Sheba had. You have more light than the people of Nineveh had. You certainly don't need some other sign. This is why he says to them, you are a wicked generation. Why? Because a wicked generation seeks after a sign when you don't really need a sign. You don't need any more signs. What you're doing is you're turning, literally, a blind eye to the truth. I will not see it. I will not see the work of Christ. I will not see his death as being on my behalf. I don't need Jesus dying for me. I'm a good enough person. We're not, but that's what we tell ourselves. We reject the grace and the mercy and the compassion of God. Well, I don't need God being gracious to me. I'm a good enough person. Uh, no, we're not. 
We're not. And this was their problem. They were self-righteous. Oh, they were righteous. They, they so thought they were righteous. And they weren't. So he says, don't watch out that the light that's in you is not darkness. You need to watch out. Think carefully. The Pharisees should make us nervous. Their life should make us stop for a moment and go, okay, if we could get a Pharisee here, if we could bring a Pharisee and we could sit down and we can have a conversation with them and we could say to them, all right, you believe that you are a representative of God. Is that right? Uh Uh-huh. You believe that you understand the law of Moses. Is that right? Oh, yes, absolutely. You believe that you are close to God and a good representative of God. Is that right? Absolutely. And you believe that if anyone is ever going to make it into the kingdom, it's going to be you. Is that right? Yes. Jesus says to them, you are a bunch of snakes and vipers and hypocrites. You're whited sepulchers. You're whitewashed on the outside and you're full of hypocrisy on the inside. That should make us nervous. If we're sitting here thinking, well, I'm fine. I'm a good person. I'm, I'm, you know, God is going to take my good works on one side and my bad works on the other. And, you know, God is going to weigh him and he's going to see that I meant well. Uh, that's exactly where the Pharisees were. That's exactly what the Pharisees thought. The fact is, our good works will not get us into heaven. They won't. And so Jesus is saying to them, you guys really need to think carefully about what it is you think. Make sure that this thing you think is light is actually light. Because what they thought, and it should have been really clear, you think that Jesus doing these works is of the devil? That's what you think? Yeah. Hmm. You know, you wouldn't think it required that much to look at, does the devil give sight to the blind or does he make blind or seeing people blind does does the devil make the lame walk or does he make walking people lame the devil does evil works jesus does good works it's interesting we you look at you look at eve back in the garden right what does satan say to her If you eat of this tree, you will become woke. That's what he says to her. And if you're thinking that sounds familiar, well, it probably should. He says to her that if you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open and you will see good for evil all on your own without God. You will become a small g God all yourself and be able to determine what's right and wrong all on your own. You'll be able to decide, and you won't need God anymore. Instead of actually becoming woke, she became blind. The fact is that she and Adam both, the moment they actually ate of that tree, yes, they gathered some new information. They suddenly discovered that they were naked. They suddenly discovered that they were fearful of God. The moment God showed up, they ran for their lives. They don't run to God and say, oh, would you please forgive us? Oh, we have done something wrong here. Can we exercise your, your grace and your mercy and compassion? We, oh, no, they run. They hide themselves. They cover themselves up. They're like, oh, we've got to hide. We've got to hide from God. We've got to hide from who God is. 
They ate of the tree, and yes, they gathered knowledge, but it was not good knowledge. And now their theology is all wrong. Their view of God is all wrong. They awoke to a place they shouldn't have been. And it wasn't a good thing. They didn't get closer to the truth. They got further from the truth. They believed a lie. And it destroyed their whole lives. It destroyed their relationship with each other. It destroyed their relationship with God. God finally chases them down, looks at Adam and says, uh, who told you you didn't have any clothes on? Have you eaten of the tree I told you not to? She did it. It's her. She's the one. And by the way, you gave her to me, so it's you and her. <laughs> great. This is great. Yeah. Yeah. And we all like, oh, yeah, okay. Of course, she's like, well, the devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. No one's accepting any responsibility. And you're looking at them like, what is wrong with you guys? Well, there you go, right? And it's not like we've improved since. This is a problem we all have. And it's because we are all sinners before God, which is why we need to come and repent, which is why Jesus is looking at them going, you guys don't need more light. What you need are better eyes. And the only way you're going to get better eyes is to repent, is to turn, and to see that God is good. Here God, Jesus is literally God in their midst. He's standing right there. God has become human flesh. He's standing there filled with nothing but kindness and compassion and love. I mean, these are the people who are going to crucify him, and he knows it. And still he's kind to them. He's reasonable with them. He's reasoning with them and trying to help them think this through and and perceive the light. It's like, are you guys serious? You really think I'm of the devil? The works that I have done are like a lamp on a lampstand, and it's bright, and it's shining right in your face. And would you please look? The devil doesn't give sight to the blind. The devil doesn't make the lame walk. The devil doesn't raise the dead. All of these works that Jesus has done, the devil doesn't do any of those. He's not kind. He's not gracious. He's not loving. He's not forgiving. Jesus is all of those things. But instead of seeing it, they say he is the devil. It's astounding. It's absolutely astounding. They need to repent. They need to turn from what they're looking at, which is their own self-righteousness. The reason that they weren't going to turn to Jesus is because the only way they could do that would be to admit that they were wrong. Let me read to you a passage. This This is from Paul, and he's writing to this group of people. In Romans chapter 2. And this is what he has to say to them. Now, just, just listen to this. He said, you call yourself a Jew. And you say that you live under the law. And you boast in your knowledge of God. You say that you know his will. And that you approve all of those things which are in his will. And you are instructed out of the law. And you're confident that you are a guide of the blind. That you are a light to those who are in darkness. You get to correct those who are foolish. And you get to teach those who don't understand. And you have in you the embodiment of the law and then of the knowledge of truth. So Paul says, I have a few questions for you. You who propose to teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who say, do not steal, do you steal? 
You who say you shouldn't commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You say you abhor idols, but do you commit idolatry? You boast in the law, and yet you break the law. The name of God is dishonored among the Gentiles because of you. You say, well, I have kept the law of Moses. And because I've kept the law of Moses, I have met all of these requirements. Therefore, it's going to be fine with me. Really? What about someone who hasn't kept the law of Moses and is not a Jew outwardly, but actually has striven to keep the law of God inwardly? Won't that count to them for righteousness? Because you're not a true child of God because of what you've done outwardly, but because of what has happened inwardly, in the heart and in the spirit, not in the letter. The praise is not of men, but of God. So Jesus says back in Luke, if therefore your whole body is full of light, I mean, if you actually open your eyes and see who Jesus truly is and what he's done, it will have no dark part in it and will be wholly illuminated as when the lamp illuminates you with its rays. If you will simply see Jesus as the sacrifice for you, not just the whole world, not everybody, not the person next door, you, Jesus died for you. If you will see that, suddenly the light of God will completely shine in your life. And it was a light, unfortunately, they, they, they don't. They don't see it. They don't see it. All they can see is that he has, he has accused them of being hypocrites. And of course they are. He's accused them of being self-righteous. And of course they are. Their problem was they were unwilling to see God for who he truly was. They simply saw themselves as the equal of God. We, we too, um, You know, I couldn't imagine God ever sending anyone to hell for eternities. Therefore, surely God won't. Are you sure? Because the word of God is actually quite clear about that. And unless you repent, you will all likewise perish, which is exactly what Jesus says to them. You need to repent. Don't simply fool yourself into thinking that, well, God must be like me. God is not like us. God is holy. God is righteous. God has never sinned. Not once. Anybody in here never told a lie? Of course we've told lies. Anybody in here ever stolen anything? Of course we've stolen things. All of us have taken things that were not ours. Anybody in here ever have impure thoughts? Well, of course we have. Jesus says if, if you lust after someone who is not your spouse... You've committed adultery in your heart. So let's see, we're liars, we're thieves, we're adulterers. I mean, we go right down through the list, right? Doesn't it? We go through all, all ten of the Ten Commandments, and guess what? We're guilty of every single one of them. And if we somehow think that we're going to stand before God and he's going he's to just kind of poo-poo all that, he's not. God doesn't poo-poo all that. What God did was dealt with that. And how he dealt with that is that he sent Jesus. And Jesus came and died, specifically to pay for that. And he's looking at these people and he's trying to get them to repent. Turn to the light. 
Some of them did, by the way. Most of them didn't. When the moment came to crucify Jesus, they stood there and said, crucify him. Get him away with him. Why? Because he makes us feel guilty and we don't want to feel guilty. But the fact is he offered them forgiveness. They just repented. Forgiveness would have been completely theirs. Not going to do it. Going to trust my own works instead of the work of God. Let's pray. Lord, we gather this morning to listen to your word, to hear what you have to say. Lord, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts, that each one of us would carefully weigh your words and make sure that we believe what your word says and that we don't allow ourselves to simply assume that the Bible must just agree with us without ever actually reading it. Maybe open your word, look at it carefully, and believe that Jesus died for us. And we come to you with humility, come to you seeking your forgiveness on our behalf. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.